Welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we'll be talking about the Game Designers documentary by Eric Rail of Zoom Out Media. This follows five designers and interviews a bunch more. We'll give you our impressions and then go off on some tangents, I'm sure. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, the SGC, and the Gift of Games in Grays Lake. Also, a huge thank you to all of our other patrons. All right, so a few things. First of all, it's been a couple weeks since we recorded, and the apocalypse has happened. Um, Do you guys have toilet paper? I have not enough, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I hear 300 rolls is what you need. Yeah, this week we're recording by video chatting. (laughs) <laughs> yes. instead of all other weeks we've been practicing we've been practicing social distancing for quite some time now yeah so fletcher you were traveling during the apocalypse right uh it just before it got like quote-unquote really bad <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how was your trip it was fine i mean it was fine i went to new orleans it was bright it was sunny it was warm i ate a lot of good food highly recommend going to new orleans if you've never been went on a fan book fan boat tour in the swamp uh, held a little baby alligator tons of fun i'm going to put a little asterisk go to new orleans and do all of this you know after the quarantine period is over because all those things are now closed yeah also like next spring because the like early spring or like late fall is the best time to go to new orleans yes i think it's not too hot it's a nice break from midwestern winter the guy said on the fan boat tour that if you want to see the most alligators come in the summer because that's when they're all out and like sunning themselves and stuff so keep that in mind i'm okay with not seeing the alligators (laughs) i actually didn't go on one of the fan boat tours i spencer and my mom went without me one time (laughs) and i was going through my mom's computer one time i was like what's this picture of spencer holding an alligator (laughs) (laughs) i went into like it had to be 2000 so it's been like 20 years um, but I still remember it. It was for Mardi Gras, and it was a great time. But I haven't been back because then Katrina happened, and I just I've never gotten back. But I love New Orleans. Like when I was down there, I was never there pre Katrina. I only went. Um, I went last year, I think, or was it two years ago now? No, it must have been last year. I had a baby, so um, went last spring, and then before that, maybe two or three years before that. I go about every two years, or so. but I have a friend that lives down there, so I need no more often, apparently. I went down for a book convention first, and then we just went on vacation because it turns out when you're on a book convention, you don't actually see very much of the city. Yeah, conventions are like that. You get to visit places, but you don't actually visit the place that you go to. Yeah, yeah I saw it like on a Thursday summer. night and a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, great. <laughs> so, but yeah, so um, last week. Well, I guess even last week when our episode dropped, we hadn't been in a pandemic yet. It hadn't been declared until the next day. Um, Sydney pointed out how timely our episode on app gaming was. So yeah. if you need perfect time to play without touching people. Yes. Exactly. Um, and then Joe Hoover sent us a link to Suzanne Summers. Suzanne Summers, no. Suzanne. <laughs> now, now I'm never going to remember her last name. Suzanne oh from the Dice goodness. Tower. <laughs> She maintains, not the one who's going to sell you the thigh master. <laughs> not, not <laughs> but she maintains a spreadsheet of apps. So I'm going to post that in the show notes. And she has a ton more, like a ton, like 10 times what we talked about on that list. So if you want to see a ton of board games, then yeah, check out that. I list. was really looking forward to thigh master the game. Um, <laughs> I am. Well, actually you can design it. 
Yeah. Ring Fit Adventures for the Switch is That's sort of true. Like that. We Fit Adventure. <laughs> no, Ring Fit. <laughs> because you sit down on a couch and then you are like pressing your legs together with this like yoga ring. Like that's one of the different exercises you can do in it. So, you know, I'm just saying you can exercise even with video games. Um, but yeah, this quarantine thing is crazy. Adepticon's been canceled. CMON Expo's been canceled. There is probably, I would say, an 80% chance, maybe higher, that Origins is canceled. Because really, like, everything before July, they are considering just canceling any large events. So nothing's been official there yet, but we are, the Keyforge Worlds are in May. Those are almost guaranteed to be canceled. So I'm very concerned about my live podcast I'm supposed to be going to in April. Yeah, that's probably going to be canceled. <laughs> like, I mean, everything at this point. So, and as we record, so this is Monday night. Um, this drops on Tuesday, Tuesday, March 17th. At this point, um, St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. <laughs> no parade in Chicago. Um, Get drunk alone by yourself at home. <laughs> yes. Working work on it. So says the CDC. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. But yeah, so we don't really just know a lot. And we're not going to talk a lot about this, but I've been listening to a couple podcasts. And if they don't mention it, I'm like, when was this recorded? Like, how, how did <laughs> this doesn't make any sense? So we are acknowledging it, but we're not really going to talk about it all that much um, any more than we already did. Uh, however, I will say that at this point, uh, I've submitted our time for Gen Con, which is Saturday evening. Um, we won't have confirmation for probably a few weeks, but that is our time there. Um, and all the other conventions are between now and then are probably canceled. So, you know, <laughs> makes it easy. I have to re- I have to move around a lot of vacation days because I like take off all my days like a year ahead of time. And now I have a bunch of extra ones. So, Oh my God. You have all this free time, all these extra days. It's, it's yeah. I, I will say one thing like we're rarely ever political. I don't think we've, we're not really political on this, and this is not really, this is more of an apolitical thing. But I feel terrible for people who don't have full time ability to work from home jobs with like, sick, like, like it is this type of situation. Like, I have a lot of friends that are out of work and unemployment's turning them down because they haven't worked at the same job long enough, or like, there's, it's just crazy how many people are out of work and out of a paycheck right now. So I'm really hoping that, you know, our political environment gets things straight for like quickly for those types of people. And if you are those people, I, I just have faith in our government. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So articulate, I know. Chris. I, I don't know how to, I don't even know what to say. I, I have confidence that hang in there like that cat poster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, it's just, it's a mess. It is just an utter mess. But I listen to a lot of politics podcasts and it does sound like something's going to happen relatively soon. So um, hopefully that happens. All right. Let's talk about game design documentaries. It sounds much more fun. Oh, wait, I put a note on here because I talked <laughs> so wait. much about it. <laughs> no, I missed I missed a bullet point. Such and a tease. <laughs> we're talking about apps. And I told Fletcher last week that like Eclipse is the is my the app you should download. And then we went to the app store and it doesn't exist anymore. So if you tried finding Eclipse and it's not there, um apologies. 
Yeah, after the show, I was like, oh, right, Eclipse, this is going to be the one I'm going to download. And then I tried to search for it, and it wasn't there. I'm like, is this a iPad-only app? So I looked there, and it wasn't there. And then some searching, and I was like, oh, they took it off the App Store. So it's, it's no longer available. It's still on my iPad, and I will say that the second edition plays much better. They're similar enough, but second edition is just a better game. I mean, good going for second edition being better, but yeah. Okay. Eric Rail. We decided Rail. Sure. Sure. Sounds good. R A Y L. It's R A Y L. Yeah. Seems like Rail. Um, Eric, let me know if that's not the case. He is the director and I believe basically came up with the idea and a whole bunch of other hats on the Game Designers Movie, uh, which you can find at thegamedesignersmovie.com. Also, you can find it on a whole slew of um, different. Uh, locations, uh, locations, as in places that you can download it, which Streaming is like, not your sources. local theater, <laughs> not your local theater, no, but like iTunes, Google Play, uh, YouTube movies, um, Amazon, Vim- Vim- blah, Vimeo, Vimeo, yeah. So you can find it pretty much everywhere. Uh, so he sent us a link to it and said, hey, check this out. And we did. And we watched it and we thought it was definitely worth talking about. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, it is about an hour and a half documentary that runs from about maybe three and a half, four years ago to about maybe just under a year ago. Um, and then post editing. So all the filming is kind of in that time frame. Um, and yeah, it's just really, really good. So I'm just going to start out with, you know, um, Kitty, what did you think of it? I really liked it. Um, I thought it was really interesting. They follow five different designers from various stages in, I would say, like the designing process. So everyone from um, Matt Leacock, I want to say, is like their most experienced designer that they really follow to somebody who has not published a single game to somebody who is getting a game through Kickstarter right now to somebody who has not gone a Kickstarter route, but instead went to more um, publisher oriented route and seeing the different ways to get things done is super interesting and the different stages of the design process. Fletcher, what do you think? Um, I really liked it too. I like that they had people from, I don't want to say all walks of life, but like in all different stages of like game development and different strategies of how they develop games. So I thought that was kind of um, really interesting how they pulled that all together. So you got to see like, you know, this is what it's like to be on the top tier. And this is what it's like to be like, literally just starting out, you have an idea in your head. Yeah, Yeah, like to not even having a prototype. Right. Like, really. And I don't think you would, you don't have to be into game design or anything to appreciate this movie. Like, no, I don't think so. Yeah, just playing, like, if you're in the hobbyist world, you would be interested in this movie and how games kind of... I don't want to say it's like how games get made, but it's how game designers think about designing games, I guess. It's not a how-to. It's not anything like that. Well, I think it hits on a lot of different points. So I think you're not seeing just like, this is how a game gets made. This is, you know, one way, another way, another way. You're seeing, this is how I think about things. This is how other people think about things. This is what I think about what other people think about things. This is how conventions add into the mix. This is how playtesting works. This is how, you know, you shouldn't just play with your grandma, I think was one of my favorite quotes (laughs) from the movie. (laughs) Um, So you're seeing a lot of different aspects of, like, it's not just 
oh, well, here's my 3D printer and here's how I make my components and here's how I play test things. You know, you're seeing a little bit of everything. Yeah. Although I will say there was a lot of watching people cut things. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there was a lot of cutting out pieces. <laughs> Which is what so, you got to do. Yeah. Scissors, X-Acto dies, printing onto sticker sheets, tracing on windows, um, building Pounding things out of corkboard. <laughs> There's yeah. a 3D printer segment in there. 3D printers. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I think was interesting. And so the the movie's an hour and a half long. Our episodes are typically an hour long. So we're not going to like walk you through the entire movie. You should just go out and watch it. I do not know what it costs. I was going to go to iTunes and actually buy it. Um, Eric was nice enough to actually send us a uh, review link, I guess. Um, But I am going to actually buy this. But um, it's, it's worth buying it's worth checking out if you're in the board game industry even just to support like what he's done here like that it's it's just it's entertaining enough um but what i will say is i lost my train of thought and i had so many so many cool things to say well it's available on itunes for 11.99 to buy or 4.99 to rent oh 11 just buy it (laughs) i would just buy you're good if you watch it twice you paid for it yep and you're gonna want to show your friends um because it's cool and I would assume, I can't confirm, but I would assume that you would also get access to the commentary track, which I watched. I watched the full documentary, then I watched it again with the commentary. So, and then there's three featurettes. Each of those are 20 minutes each. And then there's some deleted scenes too, which are another 20 minutes, um, which I didn't get through all of those. But there's just a lot of stuff here for 12 bucks. And it opens up with Tom Vassell. Like he's the first person talking. And if you look, the kind of the pacing is of it is the first couple minutes are what people outside the hobby would think board games are. You know, it's like, oh, people think Monopoly, Risk, Sorry, that kind of stuff. And then within a moment later, it's like, and the dirty little secret is all those games really, really suck. <laughs> and now let's talk about all these great games. And he has lots and lots of cameo interviews with like really big designers. And it's actually just cool to kind of see these designers putting faces with games and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, he follows five people. Uh, we t- mentioned uh, there's Chris Falkenberry. And his story is essentially talking about a game he's been working on called Battle for Bit. Baturian, Baturian, I can't say it. It's an eight, say it? Baturnia. Yes. So it's like an 8-bit adventure game. Um, and he put it on Kickstarter, and it failed. I think he describes it as like um, a MOBA, like League of Legends, but yeah. in board game format, and it has 8-bit style art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With apparently a really cool deck building mechanic that is unique. Um, I didn't dig into it. I found that out on the commentary, so I actually I'm going to... Take a look at this. But yeah, he had a failed Kickstarter. Um, basically learned from his failure and the, you know what the comments were. Went back, cleaned it up, and then had a successful Kickstarter. So his first Kickstarter, he raised like 19000 out of a 22000 goal. And his next Kickstarter, he put a $19,000 goal, which was smart. Um, but he ended up getting like 24000 or something like that. Um, and, you know, his game shipped, I think, last year. So that was kind of cool because that was his first game. I think we actually covered it on Dice Tower News. <laughs> oh, maybe we did. I, it, it sounds familiar to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought, what did you guys think about his story in general? Because he was, he's a good friend with 
um, the creator of the documentary. So he was the one that had the longest storyline. What do you guys think of that? I thought it was super interesting. I thought he really kind of quantified everything that I sometimes get frustrated about Kickstarter. Like I felt like he was really up against a lot to try to compete with some of these bigger and more well-funded Kickstarters. And I was really excited to see him succeed because that's always my hope for Kickstarter is that people who have these passion projects can still really make it. Yeah. Um, I, I also thought it was a pretty interesting story. They ta- he, he talked a lot about um, probably like game development and play testing, which I thought was pretty interesting, but we didn't actually get to see him do a lot of that. It looked like, what he was doing mostly was like raising awareness for his game. Like maybe he was probably close to like the end stages of his game where it was pretty set and pretty well play tested. So you don't actually get to see that, but with um, some other people that we'll talk about, like you got to, you got to see a lot more of like play testing going on, um, which I just find super interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. His game uh, started development about two years before the documentary starts. And then the documentary ends Essentially with, well, it's a spoiler, but not really. I mean, it's a documentary um, with him like <laughs> succeeding in the second Kickstarter. Um, we're going to save Doug to last, I think, because he is by far the most interesting character. I was going to say, in- yeah, he's probably the most interesting person. <laughs> I don't so, know if we want to save him for last. I don't know. It's I, up to you. Let's save him for last. Yeah, okay. I have lots to say about Doug. Um, although I will say Ant- Anton, Antonio, Anton, and I can't. Antoine. 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 Okay. Um, Antoine Baza. He's won two Spiel des Jahres, uh, one for Seven Wonders and one for Hanabi. He is a full-time designer. He has a design studio with, I think, three other guys. Um, they have a building in Europe someplace. Um, do you guys remember the actual country he's in? Uh, nope. I think he's... I don't remember. I think he's French, so I'm guessing France. But oh, maybe France. That that would make sense. Could be Belgium. I don't know. Yep. Um, <laughs> but he was essentially what you got to watch a lot of him crafting prototypes. Yeah, yes. he was doing the most cutting out. He's the one with the 3D printer. He's the one with the sticker sheets. Although Matt Leacock also talks about sticker sheets. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my favorite thing was essentially like. Well, not necessarily my favorite thing, but I think thought the thing that was most interesting from him was he wants to make a prototype of his game as quickly as possible, because that way, if he gets stuck on it and needs to switch to something else, he can come back to an actual game and start working from yeah. it as opposed to just like a set of rules. And I think that's that's like great advice in general. Get that prototype out there. Otherwise, it's just a thought. All right. Matt Leacock. Kitty, I think you should just narrate this one because he's your guy. <laughs> So Mag Leacock is, um, I'd say, most famous for being the designer of Pandemic and the Pandemic whole family of games. And that's most of what he talks about. But I thought his story was really interesting because he starts designing games with his uncle at a very young age. Like he says he remembers being like a really little kid and playing this really bad game. And then like him and his uncle flipping over the board and redoing it. And it was a really cool story. And we get to kind of follow him through the design process of um, the Fall of Rome version of Pandemic. Yeah, he, also, he also pulls out like games that he made when I presume that he was like a teenager or something yep. like that. Where he goes into uh, the attic, you see, you follow him into the attic, he pulls out some stuff and he's like, oh, this is a game I made. And here's all the rules and here's like this cardboard 
Yeah, math games and that never got published, games right. that only exist as prototypes in his attic. Um, and it was really kind of fun to see Matt Leacock's failures. That it's not like, oh, everything he does just turns to gold. What a like blessed person. No, it's like every he worked hard for this. Like, you and know. I also think it demonstrates like not only has he been playing games for a long time, but he has also been designing games yeah. for a long time as a kid, as a hobby. Like, you know, it's one thing to play games for a long time. Sure, that's obviously helpful to know a lot about different play styles and rules, but like designing games is really tough and he's obviously been doing it for decades yeah his tidbit that i was most impressed with again not most impressed but most stuck out was he's like i got lucky with pandemic i was in the right place at the right time and i am unlikely to make another game that is going to be successful as pandemic is and just putting my name on a box doesn't work i have it has to have a solid game behind it so he's working hard to create that next game in the meantime, he does like three games a year uh, in the pandemic line of various things. Like there's usually a new pandemic every year. Plus he's working on pandem- Pandemic Legacy season three currently. Um, yep. Well, probably done with that. It's probably in production by now. Um, he does like pandemic challenges. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff he does around pandemic, but he's also working on other stuff at the same time. And like he is a full-time game designer who is working long hours around the clock. Yeah. And I I think it's really interesting that, you know, a lot of people, if they had such a big success like Pandemic, they could just kind of coast on that. But like, you can tell he's really passionate about design, and he loves doing it. So it's not like, oh, I I just did this to make the money. He's like, I got so lucky that doing what I love made me money. Yep. So, all right, Fletcher, you want to take Kelly? Yeah. So Kelly was pretty interesting. And we can kind of like contrast that with Doug when we talk about Doug, but like contrasting those two back and forth, like she kind of seemed, I don't know how to put this, but like she was obviously like really talented in what she did, but also it's like everything that she did seemed people seemed to be interested in it. And, um, people wanted, she was like shopping around her ideas with, uh, publishers and people seemed like receptive to it. And she could like work from home. Um, and she was like, oh, like, if I get an idea for a game, like, I can just, like, pop on over and start, you know, working on a, a game design. And since I'm a graphic designer, like, I can make all these great pretty pictures that usually people have a tough time to do or they have to hire out someone to, like, do that. And then we'll get to Doug. But, like, contrasting that with Doug, I was like, man, like, it's, like, two ends of, like, the spectrum of, like, they're both game designers. <laughs> Kelly's further along. But, like, I don't know. She just seems to be, like, having more hits. So I will say she's very, she seems pretty young. She's got a lot of energy and she designs more um, kind of family oriented, quick playing, simple, straightforward rules games. Where's Doug? Can we talk about Doug now? (laughs) All right. So just uh, for Kelly, um, you know, the working from home thing Fletcher mentioned is she has, this is not her day job. Her day job is an internet company that she runs with her um, husband, and she's a graphic designer for that. So that's what she says she can like, you know, jump over to that. She has one published game already, which is called Veggie Garden, and she's the game that we followed mostly um, was Chibi Quest. Yeah, and then, but she ended up. I believe they said this in documentary that she ended up getting another. Um, Game published. Game published. It was like musical um, chairs. Yep, musical yeah. chairs. And it actually looks like Chibi Quest 
is also on BGG. Uh, this is not yet released, but there is an entry for it. So I don't know where this is at or who's publishing it, but I do know that when it comes out, I want it because this game looks kind of cute. Put your keyword on there. I like chibis. You love chibi. <laughs> chibi style art is. A, you've got Chris. <laughs> I'm like I'm all in. Okay, Doug. So Doug was has never had a published game. He has the most interesting beard I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he is super, he's also apparently a graphic designer for his day job. Um, in the commentary, they, they mentioned it. Um, they weren't positive, but they thought that's what he does. And he had this grand idea for a game. And the, the hook of it was essentially you cast spells by spelling things. So the game is called spells and that can be interesting. It's an interesting hook, interesting gameplay mechanic. Yep. And then the first time we see him play the game it looks like Twilight Imperium. It has more pieces than I think I have ever seen on a table at once. And I I don't know it I don't know if it was the documentary or like the game itself, but I never really got a sense of how it actually played. It was so intensely complicated looking. And like I I think that was a lot of the feedback that he was getting and it was really uncomfortable to watch sometimes um and you really felt for him which is what that made his story so real because he he got this you know and i don't want to spoil the storyline so we're going to talk about basically the first half but (laughs) he essentially at the beginning he's like i don't know if i want to go to a publisher or not because i don't want a publisher changing what i feel is the game i'm trying to make and then the mm-hmm. next thing you see is just just grueling playtesting session where you're like, wow. And, and I think like these were his friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like these were not like strangers at a convention. These were like friends around his table. And like in one way, what good friends. Yes. What good friends he had to give him such honest feedback. But at the same time, it was like, I like I can't imagine. I don't know. I have a very loving husband who gives me very honest feedback. And, you know, that's tough enough for me sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I can't take a whole table full of it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was some of it was hard to watch. And the great thing about his storyline, though, was the amount of time that was spent capturing essentially his work and iterating over this game. Because where mm-hmm. it started and where it ended were very, very different. Um, as oh, yeah. As far as I know, I'm going to double check BGG on this right now. But as far as I know, this game did not get published or anything. Um, Fletcher, what did you think of Doug? Um, so I thought, I mean, we've kind of already touched on this, but I think he was probably the most compelling person with the most interesting story. And I thought that the playtesting, while it, I don't think it was like, unusually harsh or anything it was just people sitting around a game sitting around a table asking questions like how you know how do we play this game and he is having to um obviously remember all the rules that he's come up with and also like justify them because at, at one point during the play test yeah they're like oh well uh, i want to cast a spell to like see all you know this other player's minions over there and he he was like okay and then he was like oh wait no you actually can't do that because a b and c but and 
And she's like, but I mean, I know that she has minions over there because I can tell by like the cards that she has or the, you know, the tiles or whatever. Like, like maybe I can't like go see an attack, but I know that they're there. So this seems like an extra yeah. step. And to me, that's just something that like is going to shake out in playtesting. Like you, you come up with this idea and you're like, oh, but before I can attack, if I'm on a different tile, I have to like, look and see if there's something there but you know when it's on a map in front of you it's like why do i need to do this doesn't make sense it seemed like a very ambitious first project um and as somebody who also has an extremely ambitious idea um it made me extremely nervous (laughs) 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 but um i think there's you know we talked about different kinds of complexity and this was this was rules complex this was like you know heavy up front but the gameplay itself didn't see i don't know there there's a lot going on so hard to tell what was happening with this game because it changed so much too you know and that's the fun thing about game design is like what you end up with is not what you started with and the idea that you have you have to be willing to change and i think that that's something i learned from all of the different things is not just like um Oh, well, if you've got a really good idea, you'll just run with it. It's, you know, most of these games have gone through several iterations. They've gone through playtesting. They go, they talk about, um, Unpub, if we want to talk about, um, that convention. And, um, so that's a convention, which is all for unpublished games. And you will go there and you will playtest people's unpublished games and you can bring your game there to have people playtest it. And, um, bringing it to a table full of strangers is so different than bringing it to a table of your friends. Yeah. Unpub is great. Um, there's also in the Midwest, there's proto spiels, which are basically a similar thing. So if you are a game designer, one of the hardest things to do is finding honest feedback. Don't ask your friends to keep playing your game over and over and over again, because they will just not want to play games with you ever. Cause playing like prototypes is exhausting. And mm-hmm. It's fine if you have like co (laughs) It's fine if you have like co-designers or something and you're playing with each other and testing things out. But once you start taking it out to the masses, you're gonna find that you're gonna have a hard time finding people to test your game. And you're gonna have a hard time finding people who are willing to give you honest feedback. And you're only gonna get one or two plays with your friends before they're gonna be like, uh, no, wait, what was this rule? How did you change this? And you know, there's just less tolerance there. So things like Unpub and Protospiel. These people are designers testing other people's games, and they will give you honest feedback. And it's, like, invaluable to have that kind of feedback. So, I, you've done Protospiel. I have not done Protospiel. I've done a couple. Um, Gen Con has a smaller room where you can uh-huh. go in and do prototypes and stuff like that. I really want to do a Protospiel because, um, like, the hub is in Illinois and Wisconsin. So, they're easy to get to, and there's a couple a year. Um, one of our listeners, Rusty? Maybe Rusty, yeah. Came to Chicago for Protospiel, and I think you met up with him, so that's where I'm crossing yeah. those wires. Um, no, I don't remember what's going on with this. <laughs> well, <laughs> just, just like testing in general, right? Because it's hard to find those people that are willing to give you that honest feedback. So I thought it was interesting because there was a section essentially on, you know, it's, it's nice that your family and friends want to say nice things about your game. But that's not helpful. So I remember where I was going with this. At these events, um, 
your feedback is not necessarily given face to face. Don't you like fill out like a basically a survey after you play the game? It sort or of depends. Do you really just give it face to face? Yeah, it totally depends. It depends okay. on what that person wants to do. Sometimes they'll be the one teaching the game. Sometimes they'll do like a cold where someone else will like a cold teach where someone else is teaching the game. Um, typically, you don't have people reading rule books at these types of things. That's something where you would send a prototype and say, okay, read it and see if you can figure it out. Um, yeah. You really, as a designer, oftentimes you're standing back and watching and not interacting at all um, because you don't want to influence the game by giving additional information that's not present or something like that. Yeah. There's a whole lot of different ways and levels that this can happen. Um, but And if you want to go out and test games, they're always looking for testers. Mm-hmm. You know, And it's a great way to kind of get introduced into that world. And there's usually at all of these, there's going to be publishers there. Publishers and big game designers, because this is where people go to like find new stuff and you know sign new things. So you can get published at an unpub convention. It's not necessarily the intent. The intent is to get feedback, but which I believe is how Kelly got her start. Um, she talks about that in the documentary where she says she went to an event. They had like components and pieces. She had a basic idea, put it together, and like sold it that day. Which is a crazy story. Yeah. I don't think that's the typical. (laughs) But that's the thing. Being in the right place at the right time and talking to the right person. Yeah. You know, I think unanimously people were talking about how game design isn't just about the game you make. You can make the most amazing game ever, but if you don't get the right people to see it, it doesn't matter. And that goes for whether or not it's on Kickstarter or whatever, because you can put something on Kickstarter that no one pays any attention to. And so that networking is important. I can't talk about Kickstarter again. <laughs> well, We've but, been I mean, here before. We have episodes about this. Or sh- if you sure. are interested in my opinions about Kickstarter, go listen to them. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did think about that when um, Chris was talking about like the, some of the comments that Chris got with his game Battle for Paternia. I was like, the game doesn't look finished. And in my head, I'm screaming. I'm like, that's because it's not <laughs> <laughs> it's not finished. Um, and it's so frustrating to me that you have to have professional graphic design, not just for the game itself, but for your Kickstarter page. You have to have so many reviews. You have to have so many YouTube videos linked. You have to have, you know, if you can get the Dice Tower or um, Rado runs through somebody, some big name in the, you know, media (laughs) to put a quote on your um kickstarter that's so huge you know and if you don't have those you know there are so many this this market is so full of games you we would look at this for dice tower news or when we were doing the kickstarter edition there would be hundreds of new games every week to scroll through and look through i would go on kickstarter and sort by tabletop games newest first and then just scroll until I hit where I was last week. And it would be pages and pages of new games every week. And it's insane. Yep. <laughs> now, that is combining role-playing, um, board games, accessories, all that stuff. Yes. Um, but still, even new board games. There's at least a, a couple dozen. A dozen a week. A week. Easily new ones. So, with that number, you know, you do have to set yourself apart from that crowd. So, what Kelly was doing was actually pitching publishers. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Doug was still early in the playtest. He never actually got to a point where he no. was going to pitch it or think of it. It, it was never a I finished I don't even game. think he had like a finished game in his head yet. No. He had, he was still very much in the process. Yep. Toying around with it. But he spent a lot of time on it. Like you could tell this yeah. was a passion project. Definitely. Um, you know, and Chris's goal was to get a Kickstarter going and, you know, get that out there. Um, obviously, Matt and Antoine, Antoine were, I mean, they're published designers. I, I thought their stories were interesting, um, but not nearly as interesting as Kelly, Chris, and Doug. Like, as someone who, like, if you want to follow the path of game design, of getting into this industry, their stories were more impactful. Um, where the other ones were like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a celebrity game designer, and this is my background. But you're really watching them already, you know, playing in that professional I thought- league. Um, Matt Leacock was pretty interesting still because he was still in the process of creating, um, Pandemic Fall of Rome. I thought seeing that, like, an experienced designer versus the less experienced designers working from, like, the same stage was interesting. Um, Antoine, I feel like we didn't really get to see him working on anything specific. He seems to have, like, a lot of pokers in the fire. I think he has a very different process than some of these other designers. So, it was harder to get into his method because you didn't see it as much. I also think there might have been a bit of a language barrier. Well, his storyline was much shorter, too, because I think there was only maybe a couple weeks of like spending time with him where like Chris, they spent three years following him around. Um, But I I will say that when Matt was testing his games and like going through and playing those solo, and then Kelly's testing her games and playing them solo and Doug's testing his game and playing it solo. Like you can see there's, and actually Antoine said this, it's like game design is kind of a solo activity. Like, yeah, you are spending a lot of time just in your own head getting something ready to show someone else. And you could see that from every single person they were doing that. Now, Chris was a little further along. He was actually going out and demoing things. Um, but for the others, you could see it's like, oh, yeah, uh, they're all in this various stages of development, but they're all doing the same thing, which is working on this themselves and just trying to tweak and iterate you know, their own games. So does this make you, Fletcher, do you want to design a game now? Like, did this inspire you in any way? (laughs) Like, how did this change your outlook of game designers in general, or like the industry, the hobby in general? Um, I don't think it changed, like, my outlook or my perception of game designers at all. Because I I knew that, like, you know, they come from all walks of life and all different, you know, types and methodologies of designing games. Um, I still don't want to make one. (laughs) <laughs> I enjoy playing them. And, you know, I I guess t- for me, like, scratching that itch, and I guess it's different for for you, Chris, but, like, since I'm an app developer, it's not game design, but it is kind of like a puzzle in some ways. Um, and that kind of, like, you know, it's, fulfills that need for me. It's definitely a creative outlet. Yeah. Like, I find any kind of... Um, development like programming or whatever you know a lot of people when i ask is like what do you do um, you know i write apps for your phone oh that must be a lot of math it's, it's kind of like the i play board <laughs> it's games very little oh, math, actually. is that like monopoly <laughs> and when you say i'm a programmer oh that must be a lot of math i'm not good at math i'm like it has nothing there's no math in it, it only when i make my calculator app <laughs> exactly there's very little math in programming um now 
games are a little different, but even then, most of what you do doesn't have, doesn't have any math. It is logical, though. But really, what you're doing is you're creating a solution to a problem. You're presented with, you know, this is the problem. Give Make a solution for it. And that is a very creative activity. And in a lot of ways, it overlaps with game development or really any kind of system of rules development. You know, games are logical in the end. You have rules. You follow them. They're branching. If this, then that, all of that. Game design and programming are very, very close to each other, which is why I think a lot of people who write games also are involved in the tech community in some way. It's either the artist community or the tech community is where a lot of your games editors come from. But so, but it doesn't give you a bigger appreciation for the people who do design the games you enjoy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I always knew because I talked about it before that like when I tried to design a video game with a friend, like. I knew this was going to be really challenging from the moment we sat down and trying to sketch out like what we thought might be a good game. And then we play tested a very early idea of a game that I had. I knew it was going to be very, very hard and a a lot harder than my partner was, you know, he was like, oh, like it should be no problem to like make a game. And I'm like, this is going to be a lot harder than you think. Maybe I just already had like a greater sense and appreciation of like how difficult it would be. Um, That was one of the sound bites from Mike Selinker, who has done so many games. But he's like, game design is hard. Really, really hard. You think you can do it, but you can't. Because it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, he just has that. He's not wrong. It is hard. But I just love his, and and love is in quotes and italics, but his just bluntness. um, Because he's been doing this for a super long time himself. And it is, he's still, you know, he has a lot of bad games. He wrote, he, well, he wrote a game. He made a game that I backed. This was maybe four years ago. It was early on um, in my Kickstarter thing. And I liked the Pathfinder Adventure card game so much that I packed this other Apocrypha is what the name of the game's called, um, which is another card adventure game. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to back everything about this and get everything. The game shows up and it's, it's practically unplayable. Like, it is it is not good like just isn't and but he's done a lot of great games as well so by the way due to the quarantine um all of their games which i believe they're oh, what are they loan shark games or something like that um they have a great sale on everything so apocrypha is like originally like 80 dollars and they're selling it now for 30 so you might want to check that lone star lone, lone shark i don't know but anyway um check out his games because he uh they cut everything. I want to know the name of this because Lone Star is a beer. Lone Shark is I, a people that you don't want to go in I business with. I think it's Lone with. Shark. <laughs> I think it's Lone Star Shark. Yeah. I think it's Lone Shark. Lone, Lone shark, shark is definitely a gaming company and it has a logo with like a shark wearing a top hat or something. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Lone Shark Games. Um, but yeah, so you can go there. Is it and a shark you can, wearing a top hat? Um, Am I right? It is a... No, it looks like a much more... Um, updated logo. It's just like a circle with a shark fin. Mm. But yeah, I'm wondering, so Apocrypha, I'm actually going to look up the Apocrypha Adventure Card Game on BGG, because maybe it's just me. I I don't know. I don't... My opinion of a game... I still have it, because I still want to, like, figure out how this game works. I got it as a Kickstarter, and there was a little 
QR code, go to this to learn how to play. And I went there and the site's like coming soon. And then I went back a couple <laughs> more times and it never was there. So I didn't know. I already have the game though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is rated 6.8 on BGG, um, which isn't terrible, but it's not great either. Anyway, this isn't to, <laughs> to kill the, I'm not well, trying to so the other thing they talk make about. light of him. He's a very, very good designer. <laughs> but in but any case. It does go to show that like, you know, even good designers, people who have good ideas, people who work really hard, know the system, go through the playtesting, do all this work. Sometimes they're going to have games that aren't as, you know, I don't want to say not as good because I think a, a lot of games are not for everyone. And that's the beauty of, you know, there are a dozen games on Kickstarter every week is they're not all the same kind of game. You know, the kind of game I like to play is not the kind of game Chris likes to play and is not the kind of game that Spencer likes to play or Fletcher, whoever it is, you know, like there's different games to appeal to different kinds of players and you just might not be, you know, finding your market. But if, (laughs) but there are some games that are just bad. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, and you look at the more, most prolific gamers or um, game designers out there. um, Reiner Knizia, he has hundreds of game designs. He's a well-known designer for like a handful of those games. Yeah. And the rest of them are basically not good. Yeah, it's really interesting cuz they, you know, we talked about the main 5 people that um they have in the documentary, but they talked to dozens more designers just for short interviews and I loved watching the names pop up and like whose names I recognized, especially after doing Dice Tower News, how many names I recognized. And they'll put like three titles under everyone's name. And half the time I'm like, oh, I know that game. I know that game. Mm, no, I don't know that one. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, Let's- even the big name designers, you can have one or two really good, really great games under your belt and then have a flop or vice versa well and the games that they elevate here are usually the ones that they're best known for and they're still some of them are like i have no idea what that is right so yeah so some of the names some of the interviews they had in here um reiner i just mentioned eric lang liz spain um ryan lockett so this is um basically he's a one-man game development shop he does everything um Uwe, Uwe rosenberg which again these are just designer names you've probably heard of, but at the same time, if you haven't, don't feel bad because you know that's why they have a bunch of games there. Um, Rob Davio, responsible for all the legacy games, or at least starting the legacy category. Uh, Mike Sonlicker, we just mentioned, he was he worked on Betrayal and House of the Hill, Magic the Gathering, Pathfinder. Um, Jamie Stegmeyer of Stonemeyer Games. Um, let's see. Oh, Corey. What? Chris's inability to say things is really. It's K O N I E C K. No, K O N I E C Z K A. There's a lot of. I have to look at it. You can't just. Oh, I thought you guys were looking at the same page. I just went to the gamedesignersmovie.com. So it's all right there. But he did Star Wars Rebellion, Twilight Imperium, Eldritch Horror, Battlestar Galactica, some of my favorite games, but I never knew his name. Until I saw them listed underneath him. And you still don't. And I still don't. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, like I say, it just really does give you an appreciation for what these people go through. And still, a lot of these game designers, it's not their full-time job. Like, it is a hobby. It's a hobby industry. 
Um, Kitty has mentioned it before. The business model of game development and publishing makes no sense. And <laughs> honestly, don't pin this on me. No, no, no. <laughs> you're not wrong about it. I, I don't remember where I mentioned or I heard it before, but essentially, I was listening to some economics podcast where it's like, you know, typically, if a business doesn't make money, if you can't charge what you need to to be able to make a living at it, that business shouldn't exist. And the first thing I ran to was like, well, that would eliminate the hobby game industry because the amount of time and energy put into something that gets released and the amount of people that are willing to buy it and pay the right price for it just doesn't match up. This industry is, it's huge, but it's unique in it's hard to make money. Even Asmodee is having problems right now, like figuring out, they bought all these great titles and great companies, but they're trying to figure out like, okay, well, how do we actually make money and grow? And there is no such thing as a giant company, as what is probably the giant company, but there's just no such thing as a big company in this industry. It doesn't exist because it's too fragile, but it's it's still fun. I'm going to still support these people. And I'm going to circle back and say, you should support people who do documentaries because this one's worth watching. 12 bucks, definitely worth it. Totally. Go watch it. You may feel like, you know, we've been talking about it for 50 minutes. It's an hour and a half long. How have we not covered literally everything that happens in it? Um, you know, we do a bad job. So <laughs> yeah. you shouldn't take our word for it. You should go watch it. Um, it also, also has some really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It has some really beautiful, like, you know, shots of people playing games, conventions. It has great music. It's really well put together. Um, I totally applaud Eric for all the hard work that has gone into this. You can tell that this too is a passion project. So. And this was, he is in no way compensating for us. Um, he actually doesn't even know we're doing this. I did. I emailed <laughs> him about three hours ago saying, Hey, by the way, tomorrow's episode, we're featuring your movie on it. Um, but he, he sent us a review link. And we would not have done an episode on it if we didn't find it interesting. So I just want to make sure we, we're we pushing it hard right now because it really is an interesting sh- um, documentary. But it's this is not a promotion in any sense. So No, we are not paid to do this. No, um, I wish. But even if we were paid to do it, it wouldn't be enough because, you know, gaming industry. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works. Um, let's see. Uh, do I have any other comments here? We talked about Kickstarter. We can't talk about that anymore. All the crafting stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the commentary. I think we could talk. I don't know. I think we covered Kickstarter as much as we can for this. Yes. No, that's good. Before we get into my pet peeves. <laughs> yeah. I will say that um, the documentary is great. And the commentary track, you should definitely watch after the documentary if you're going to watch it at all. It is more of a documentary about how the documentary was created. So like commentary tracks are. Um, apparently, BGG worked with him in getting this all set up and, and going. So it was him and someone from BGG that were the commentators. But there was a lot of interesting information in the commentary track that's not in the documentary um, about what's going on. So, And then I'm going to watch the featurettes. Pro- well, maybe not tonight because I have to edit a podcast, but um, probably tomorrow because <laughs> quarantine. What else am I going to do? Design a board game. Design a board game. Actually, so this is an aside, talking about quarantines and stuff. Um, I sort of want to do an episode on remote gaming 
But then again, I don't because as soon as I say that, people are thinking like tabletop simulator and um, there's another one. And like, I just, I don't like those types of remote gaming. Like Roll 20 or whatever. Well, Roll 20, Roll 20 is actually not that bad because RPGs, it's just That's a lot of talking. For, yeah, RPGs. This is more like, um, like virtual board games. strangers on the internet. Or, or oh. even other people on the internet, but it's still this virtual interface, which is kind of eh. But what we're doing is, um, so we have this friend, Sarah, who we played Gloomhaven with, and she lives on the East Coast now. So she's in Boston, been in quarantine for a while. And Arkham Horror, the card game, the most recent campaign is instead of one eight scenario long campaign, it's two four scenario long campaigns that can be played by different groups. So we're playing remotely by playing the scenarios in parallel. And then at the end of each scenario that of each group, you get together and you do like an interlude and then you go on to the next one. So we're playing all through that and then we're going to switch and can play again and then compare notes. And it's like, it's really fun because Sydney and I are playing one side where Sarah and Martin, Martin's her significant other, are in this dream state and we're playing the waking state. And all of a sudden their dream starts seeking, seeping out into our reality. So we have a glimpse of what's going on in their minds, but we don't actually know what's going on. And it's just like this really fun, interactive, remote experience that's going on right now. So um, if you have, and you the listeners, have ideas of how to play remotely, not electronically, not on a simulator, but like over like Google or Skype or whatever, chess I want to hear about it. Or what? Chess by mail. Or chess by mail. Um <laughs> They, it's not a thing I made up, Chris. I know. Don't give me that look. No, no. it's totally a thing. <laughs> it's totally a thing. I get it. Yeah, you do. do um, uh, play by forum is is a totally thing too. <laughs> I'm thinking something a little bit more interactive, but I'm just curious about remote setups, like playing board games over long distances in real time. Um, so, if you have thoughts on it, shoot me an email, feedback at tabletopgamedoc.com, uh, and maybe I'll do an episode on it if I get enough interesting feedback on that. Otherwise, we're just going to talk about playing role-playing games over Roll20, which is <laughs> legit, too. All right. You guys have anything else? Nope. Nope. All right. Um, you can follow us at Facebook at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter is Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty's Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher is Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. Leave us a review on iTunes. We have a couple new ones, um, well, at least in the last few months, and I appreciate them. They're really awesome. And... I also appreciate all of our patrons. If you want to be one of them, you can go to tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon. Um, go ahead. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening. And remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Okay. Short interlude here. We got an email uh, Thursday, so a few days ago, from Benjamin Fleming. Benjamin found our podcast two weeks ago. And has says he's been listening to about 10 episodes a day ever since. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That is a lot of listening to me babble. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of Chris. That's a lot. Um, and he sent us some credits to read. So, or credits that he read. So, we're going to play Benjamin's. Benjamin, first of all, or Ben, Benjamin. Ben, it says Benjamin in his email, and Ben is his name. Um, we also... Yeah, but anyway, um, we're gonna play his credits, and Ben. I just I can't s- wait to wa- watch this train derail, like just careen off the tracks <laughs> as Chris tries to explain what's going on. I have nothing. Uh, why anyone listens is beyond me. 
Okay, let's let's see what happens. Adam Harrison, the SGC, the Gift of Games, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Steve Stiles, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Hamowitz, Jerry Wong, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Krutska, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Bill Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Nate, Faz Filtham, Sean Peck, Eric Sealander, Mike Smith, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Walk, Kolbiak, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Steve Judd, Leanne Verholz, Christopher Letko, John Lewis, Joe Rackstad, Ron Nelson, Sarah Wentworth, Weatherman Keefe, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Toth, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Matthew Droke, Aaron Moore, Jesse Wheeler, and Charles Pearson. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. Ben wasn't bad. No, yeah, really it was pretty good. You can tell he actually <laughs> listens to us read these names. <laughs> well, I mean, for 10 hours a day, apparently. Yeah. The first half He's is... not hitting the 15-second skip. Yeah. The first half is pretty easy. The second half gets harder and harder and harder as you go down. Um, but I, I just love hearing other people butcher names. It makes me feel better about myself when I butcher them. They struggle as hard as we do. <laughs>